Hello, welcome to the season finale of Spilling Chai on the Pain Gap. I'm your host, Anusha Hussain, and one of the most important points about my book, The Pain Gap, How Sexism and Racism in Healthcare Kill Women, is the power of stories. It's so important when we speak about statistics and numbers that we don't get lost in those numbers. We have to remember that behind every number is a real woman, not just someone's mother, daughter, wife, some somebody, a real individual person. And in all of my interviews and in so many amazing stories that I have come across, um, the interview that we have as our season finale today, Tamika Isaac's story, is one of the most powerful that I have heard. And I'm so excited to share it with you. I'm gonna read you her incredibly inspiring bio. Tamika Isaac is from Kennonsville, a small town in Eastern North Carolina where everyone is family and everyone knows someone who knows someone who is related to someone. <laughs> in 2017, she set out to find decent health care for her pregnancy with her son, Jace. This journey would set her stranded in unchartered territory. Losing Jace caused Tamika to re-examine the facts of their medical diagnosis to see what happened, what needed to change, and what could be done to prevent this from happening to anyone ever again. The tragic yet preventable death of Jace and almost losing her own life in the process birthed an unbridled passion and purpose to spread awareness and to be a catalyst for change as it relates to racial and implicit biases faced by African-American women and infants on a daily basis. She is our season finale interview and I cannot wait for you to hear this truly powerful story and incredible conversation. Thank you so much. So Tamika Isaac, thank you so much for joining us on Spilling Chai. You are our season finale um, guest. And what I love so much about you and your work is that you kind of embody uh, one of the core messages of my book, which is the power of um, women's stories. And I feel like you have one of the most powerful stories that I have come across so before we start talking about Jace's journey, uh, would you like to tell our audience uh, your story and who who was Jace? <laughs> no pressure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You're good. You're good. I, I am Tamika Isaac. I, I can tell you the story about Jace. So Jace was my son and me and my husband got pregnant in like 2017. And we were ecstatic, like super happy. I was 40 when I got pregnant. So it was like, oh, well, you're, you know, high risk and all the things. And I was told I was high risk for preeclampsia and immediately put on like a low dose of aspirin and all this stuff. And we had tried for probably over a year before we even found out. And, you know, like everybody else who's super excited, I wouldn't take pregnancy test until Brandon actually left home so like if it was negative he just never had to know um but this time I he, he went to work because he was working on like a Saturday for whatever reason and I took this test and I was like and it was positive so I was like okay what am I gonna do right so I was like okay I'm gonna go to Target I'm gonna find a onesie so I ended up like buying this black 
long sleeve onesie and ironing on baby Isaac. And I put it in this little box. I put, I got this, this card um, from Target as well and kind of like wrote like the, the timeline, like first trimester, this date and all these things. And the two pregnancy tests that I had taken and I put those, of course, in a Ziploc bag, because that's gross. Um, <laughs> disgusting. And <laughs> I put those in a bag and I gave it to him. And this nut, my husband's crazy. He's like, are you serious? Mm, yeah, don't think I would do that to you. Because that's horrible. Because that's horrible. not a bad joke. That's <laughs> a joke. And not funny. <laughs> and not funny, right? And not funny. So... He was super excited. We were super excited. Of course, I told my mom first, don't tell him. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) And, you know, we just went about our lives. We were living our best life. My pregnancy was amazing. Jace was the best kid to carry. I had no morning sickness, sickness, not a lot of cravings. I was just, you know, I didn't gain like a soup, a lot of weight. You know, it was enough. I maybe 30 pounds at the most. And we were good. Like I would sing to him in the shower every morning. Like you are my sunshine, you know, being me and silly. And I tried to get Brandon to sing, but he wouldn't. And he sounds terrible, but you know, we move on. And it was good until, so about 34 weeks. I went to, you know, I'm at this point going to my regular appointments and doing the regular thing, that weekly appointment thing. And they're like, oh, okay, so Jace is measuring small. And we're like, well, I was like, okay, what, you know, what does that mean? And they, you know, like, well, we need for you to go to maternal fetal medicine. We need for you to get this ultrasound. I'm like, okay. So, you know, I, immediately, you know, I think like a lot of people think people don't go to their prenatal appointments. Eh, every single one. Never miss Every one. single one, yeah every single one and even in that like I would have to go to another doctor so they're like he's measuring small we need for you to go to maternal fetal medicine and get this ultrasound I immediately go to maternal fetal medicine and get this ultrasound and that first ultrasound they were like well we can't really see his we can't see the movement of the we can't see the umbilical cord because he's moving too much Mm -hmm. but you're going to come back next week for your uh, next appointment so we'll just you know do whatever then Next week is a non-stress test. He failed a non-stress test. Okay, what do we need to do? We need for you to go to back back to maternal fetal medicine to get another ultrasound. I'm like, okay. Immediately go to maternal fetal medicine, get this other ultrasound. And they're like, oh, he's fine. He scores like this eight out of eight. You're good to go. I'm relieved. We're good. I actually had one of my friends go with me go with me to that appointment. She's like, okay, well, we're good. That Sunday night, I woke up like in the middle of the night and my stomach was like, it was, it was like this really bad stomach ache. And I'm like, ah, I mixed all this food. Maybe it's like food poisoning. I don't know what this is. Yeah, you had gone, was it to your mother-in-law's house and eating all that stuff? Yeah. Like just, just and also when you're pregnant, Everybody, PSA, indigestion and tums. <laughs> so yes, so, very easy to think though. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, my stomach is hurting. Let me go poop. So I go, I try to poop. I couldn't. So I ended up throwing up and I felt better after that. So, okay, well, that was what that was. Um, 
And so I was able to go back to sleep at that point. But the next morning I woke up and remind, remind, I'm reminding you that I never had morning sickness, right? So this next morning I'm waking up, I'm like, oh man, I'm really sore. Like, ah, oh, I did throw up. Haven't thrown up in three years, if that, maybe four or five at this point. And I just felt bad. Like I felt like I had food poisoning and I threw up, now I'm sore. So kind of, so I kind of laid around. Um, my best friend was there that day, and about 4:30, 5 o'clock, I asked her to come help me go to the bathroom because I'm still feeling that soreness in my abdomen. And she comes up, she helps me get to the, she helps me stand up, and I immediately pass out. So I come to, she's on one phone with 911, she's on the other phone with my mom. She gives my mom, me the phone for my mom. Like my mom's talking to me in my ear. This ambulance comes, they pick me up. They put me in this, <laughs> it's like a, it's, they call it a stair chair. So think of like Hannibal Lecter in the chair at the end of the table. And that's like literally what it looks like. So they put me in this chair, they take me downstairs and they rush me into a hospital. I arrive at the ER about six o'clock that afternoon. I think they did a Doppler. I really don't remember. I'm kind of like awake, lucid, kind of not really, you know, just like I'm alive. I know what's going on, but to do anything, I probably couldn't do it. And so they're like, they do, they do the Doppler. Nobody says anything. My husband's there, some friends, some family, they're there at like 7.50 is when they finally do the ultrasound. And it just gets so quiet and weird. And I'm, I'm still like literally on the phone with my mom because like people are just there. And I'm like, it's it feels weird. Like something's not right. They don't, I, I remember saying, they don't know what they're doing is what I said because it was so weird. And this doctor comes in and she says, your son died in utero. Wait, what? Matter of factly, no emotion, no nothing. And I look at my husband and I know I can see his whole heart break in his face. And I'm like, I know what that feels like because I feel it too. And we were just, we were stunned. We were broken. And then they proceed to tell us, oh, we can't worry about that right now because you have help syndrome. And again, we're like, what, what? What is, what is help syndrome? And I'm, no one ever explained to me what it was, ever. The information that we found out about help syndrome is what we Googled. Like my husband was Googling, like my friends were Googling, like what are you talking about? So I have this critical condition and they're like, well, we need to induce you. I'm like, oh, can you give me a C-section? I just don't think I can do this today. Yeah. Oh no, 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 you can't, you can't have a C-section. We have to induce you. But we can't do it here. Oh, so gosh. in this time I'm tachycardic. So my heart rate is going between 130 and 150. Mm -hmm. And they're, apparently they didn't have anybody there to monitor my heart. Mind you, they never sent me to maternity. So they, this this hospital has like this maternity function. I'm in basic ER, like everybody's ER, and we have to we have to transfer transport you to this other hospital. So we're waiting. We you know 
six, we arrive at 6.50, 7.50, they do the ultrasound. 9.59 p.m., they do a CT scan. Mind you, health syndrome, folks, it's, a, it's, it's an illness in your liver, <laughs> right? So they do this CT scan at 9.59. Transport finally arrives to send me to the other hospital at 10.53 p.m. And as I'm in transit, the results of that CT scan are sent to the other hospital. They call back a resident, Rachel McCabe, Dr. Rachel McCabe, my angel. She knows I call her my angel <laughs> because she is. And she tells them that I'm bleeding internally. And did they know? And they had no idea. But if you look at my medical records, they say they emergently transferred me to this other hospital because I was bleeding internally. The lies. Anyway, so I'm transferred to this other hospital. I'm in the back of the bus. My husband's in the, in the front. I have no idea any of this is going on. I think I'm headed to get induced at this other hospital. I arrive, I'm wheeled into the operating room at this point and told that I'm getting ready to get a C-section. And I remember being like really puzzled, like what? There's no, like, there's no time to discuss or anything. So they put me to sleep and I, I was out. I literally had a, a liter of blood in my abdomen and a softball size hematoma on my liver. So I had a really big blood clot on my liver. I would code. They, my platelets were low. I had been on a low dose of aspirin this whole time and health syndrome affects your platelets. So my platelets were low. So I'm literally just like spewing blood water everywhere and they're trying to they're trying to save my life and they're they pack me with like these sponges to like absorb the blood but they keep me open and they tell my husband we don't know like if she's gonna make it we've thrown everything at her that we could if she wakes up it won't be until like thursday or friday so my liver actually ended up rupturing that night. Um, like I said, I coded one time, I think, maybe two. And it was just kind of like a in limbo kind of thing. Meanwhile, my poor husband has lost his son. His son, and, and yeah. But were you yeah. aware during this period that you had, did you remember that you had lost the baby? I did. You did. That Even was though you were dying baby. yourself. Right. So, but I didn't, I never knew I was dying until I woke up. Oh my right? gosh. Right. So yeah. none of that. I, I had no idea what was oh going on. Gosh. I vaguely remember waking up, being in this room and hearing a clicking sound, mm -hmm. but then I kind of phased back out. So I ended up waking up, I think Wednesday morning. And so I'm, I'm awake, but I'm intubated. I have these like mitts on because apparently I don't like to be intubated and I tried to take that out. Um, and my mom is there. So my mom of course was not there before. And she, and I did remember that Jace had passed away. I did remember that. And she asked me if I wanted to hold him. And I looked at her and I was like shaking my head yes. But again, I couldn't talk, so I'm intubated. And then I'm like, eh. So there's, you know, so 
I don't have, I have, I wear glasses, contacts, whatever. And I didn't have either one of those there. So I'm playing charades with my family. Never play with them, they suck. Cause I'm, I'm like, going, I'm going like this, like, oh, help me, help me, can't see. And I finally get my husband communicate. Right. And you're like, oh my God, completely yeah, wrapped up and yeah, I'm like a up. mummy. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. Can like can, can imagine the trauma. I mean, this is a human being here, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. Oh my gosh. Okay. So finally I your family it. gets the message, gives you they the finally get the message. They give me my husband's glasses. Our prescriptions are not the same. So I look at my son through my husband's glasses. And I know it was less than five minutes. And a nurse comes in and she, he's like, we have to take him now. He has to go to the morgue. And like, I can't say anything because I'm intubated. So we're just kind of looking around. He had been in my room the whole time. So this all, everything happened like Monday. So he was delivered like two, early Tuesday morning, like 12, 11 a.m. Tuesday morning. So this next morning, he had been in my room at, at, for three hours. Um, so this nurse comes in and he 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 takes him like he literally takes him, and I couldn't say anything because I'm intubated. I couldn't. I. It was just the the hardest part of this whole thing was that moment and never ever ever being able to get that back because ultimately, I was in the hospital for forty five days. I was released once, um, but I was so sick. Like I was so, so sick. And the day before his funeral, I had to be readmitted. So I never got to say goodbye. I never saw him again. And it was just, you know, is. You know, all like all the surgeries, there's like seven surgeries. When I left the hospital, I had like a tube in my, my lip coming from my liver. I had a tube coming from my lung and I had a wound vac to like help close up this hole that's in my abdomen. That was so like, they cut through my my abs. Like they cut through my abs. <laughs> like, no, nobody knows this, but it's not just a one. It's like layers and layers that they have to go through. And when it's an emergency, they just kind of rip you open. I mean, it's terrible. It's open. a major surgery, and it, guys. And it's, oh. and it's vertical. Mine's vertical. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's not that little bikini cute Yeah, no. All. It's like no, they it's literally like cut it. you open. Slit they you cut right me open. open. Wow. So oh I go home with all these things and then all these thoughts, like yeah. what happened? Like, how did we, I did all the things. things. I took the aspirin, yeah. I, I went to all these appointments. I I wasn't, you know, angry, combative, you know, the things they say about us, um, any of that. So how did we get here? And I remember, Anushay, one of my friends, when I was in the ER, she said, have they been doing urine samples on you? And I, rem I, I said, no, at the time, because I couldn't remember them doing one. And I asked her after that, I was like, why did you ask me that? And she was like, because your urine was almost black. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. Like, what does that even mean? So I looked at my medical records and they had not done one the whole entire time I was pregnant. Like 
They that is crazy. Out. That is like the only thing I feel like they did with me was like the urine sample. I mean, it, it's uh, it's protocol. It is just like what, what you do with pregnant people. And that's what I heard. Like everybody, anytime I tell that is story, insane. And it, I couldn't like I was like, what? Like, yeah. oh and I gosh. had no idea what they were yeah. for. Right. Because, you know, you know, people get preeclampsia. And the first thing people say about preeclampsia is high blood pressure. I have a very normal blood pressure and, you know, I, I run about 110 over 60, 110 over 70, um, normally. So my blood pressure had gotten like to 122 over like 80, 90 at one point when I was pregnant. And that's really high for me, but not preeclampsia high. So there was no concern on their behalf and, you know, if you're not concerned, I'm not. Like, I'm not that person who's like a hypochondriac just trying to like, I'm not that person. Like if everybody's chill, I'm chill. If nobody's chill, I'm chill, right? So it was just like, what? And then I started to hear all these stories like Kira Johnson, Shalon Irving. And the first time I heard Kira's story, I bawled. I literally just sat back and was like, this cannot even be real. Like, why in the world would this happen to someone? Yeah. And then the similarities, right? Like, I'm no way in, yeah. <laughs> no way close to being as smart as Kira. And I've told Charles this before too. Like, I'm no way oh, Charles that, Johnson, my personal that, hero. that smart, but like, the blood in our abdomens. Yeah. Like, I mean, she was literally bleeding to death. I mean, it took them, uh, I think, seven or eight hours to get that CT scan. I think, I think and, it was more like 10. Yeah. I think it was more and like he 10. he always talks about how he was so scared to be, you know, that viewed as the angry black man, but he was literally watching his, he said that, you know, she was like turning blue. She was cold. I mean, he literally watched the, Oh, the whole thing happened, but um, hopefully his historic uh, lawsuit um, will go forward. Um, you hit on something very, very important. Not only uh, women always trying to be the pa perfect patient, which doesn't exist, um, but a common misconception about America's maternal health crisis is that it's poor, uneducated uh, Black women that uh, who are dying. Uh, but now we know and statistics show that a college-educated Black woman is still five times more likely to die giving birth in America than her high school-educated white counterpart. Um, is that not insane? Like, that is insane. That, that I, People ask me, why? And I'm like, yeah. I have no answer yeah. for you. Well, we do like, have an I'm, answer now because before it was blamed on race, but now we know it's racism. Oh, you no. yourself have, uh, at least we can say it now. Can we say it? Are we allowed to say it? Or should we say implicit bias? Let's not uh, say implicit bias. I hate that, I hate that first, more than anything. Uh, the need to get rid of implicit bias is high up there with get, trying to eliminate racism. Uh, but you yourself are had private insurance, had two master's degrees. Um, so um, what, what does that say to people who are like, oh, well, this is not, this is not race driven. What, what There's only one thing left. There's yeah. only one thing left. And the numbers show it, right? Like people are so like, oh, these numbers, what? Like what? Like these numbers have shown for years, for years that it's racism. 
because I remember like going into the office and one of the girls, she was like, one of the nurses, she was, she said, do you, do you need to pee? No. Do you need for me to pee? Yeah. And she said, no, don't worry about it. So in my mind, that's not something you need. Yeah. But I'm high risk for preeclampsia, so it's something that you need. Yeah, but you t you're acting like you don't need it. So then you I think like you don't need it. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, why? Like, I just, it baffles my mind that you as a physician mm -hmm. take this oath and you fail to make sure me and my son got out of this alive. Yeah. We are, we, both of us almost lost it here. Yeah. And... I, I was like, no, like, yeah. no, like, this is not the end of his story. Yes. This is not the end of his story. This is the beginning of his story. And we are going to share his story yes. until something changes mm -hmm. or we can make a difference in what's going on. Well, I love that you said that because um, how do you, a maternal mental health also is so, is so important. And it's something that people are focusing on more and more, but how do you manage your own mental health? Your story is so powerful, but you have to tell it and tell it. Do you feel like it's, do you feel like that, that, that is what sustains you, right? That is exactly what sustains me. And not that like, I could have done this on my own by myself. It was, we did go to therapy. Me and my husband did couples therapy. We did group therapy first, and then we kind of broke off and did our, you know, couples therapy. And very early on in this whole thing, I had to put it in perspective, right? So this is by far the worst thing that has ever happened to me in my life, mm -hmm. but it's not the worst thing that has ever happened. So if you take like, I think like a couple weeks after I, I got out of the hospital, that whole, do you remember the duck boat accident? <laughs> was it in DC? I don't know if it was in DC. <laughs> it may have been in like Florida, but this family, they were on a duck boat. Oh. And this woman lost like her whole entire family on this boat. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that vaguely sounds familiar. Sorry, after tragedy after tragedy. You know, <laughs> like, it kind of Yeah. Wow. But I remember okay. that happening right after that. And it was like, I can get through this because I don't know if I would be able to get through that. Yeah. You know, like that's... Perspective. That's, yeah. Yeah. And then there was like stillbirth in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People don't talk about People it. People do not talk about it. They don't even and talk I'm, about miscarriage. They don't even talk about birth. the things and women what, don't talk like about. Why? One in four pregnancies in the so common, one in yeah. four mm -hmm. is so common yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's so taboo and people feel like they're so broken. Yeah. Literally days ago, Oops. my cousin lost twins at like eight months pregnant. Oh my gosh, no. And oh. you know, people like now people tell me they tell me these things yes. and I can talk to her and I can send her a little package and say, Hey, you, you know, you're not alone, right? There are millions of women who have gone through this and you can talk about this and you don't have to feel like you've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. 
and you don't have to feel like you have to bottle this and bottle this up inside because even like with um postpartum support international we have like a maternal near miss i'm a specialized coordinator for maternal near miss like even talking to women during that i had one she was just like i have to cry in my shower because people think i should be over it and when you hear that you're just like you will never get over this. Like, <laughs> that is not a thing. Like, that is, that is so, so unrealistic. Yeah. You will you will never get over it, but you yeah. will move forward. Mm-hmm. And you the near misses, forward. I mean, those are the ones, I mean, imagine the trauma, just period. But you are supposed to get over it. I mean, I, 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 I just realized, I think this year that no, you don't. It's my birth trauma and it will stay with you forever. But yes, it will move forward. And why should you want to get over it? It's the best <laughs> thing that happened. And people are kind of like, <laughs> oh, well, you can have more kids. Okay. It's still I want my change. Kids. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I want my kid. I want my kid. Yeah. The kid I wanted, I was supposed to have, the kid I sang yeah. to, I want that kid. And maybe I can't have more kids, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I can't, maybe my body won't let me. You know how many people get hysterectomies in this country? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. People, people literally ask me, so did you have to get a hysterectomy? No, I didn't. But people do. Let's stop harassing people about <laughs> how many kids <laughs> they have. Oh my God. Seriously. Well, you have taken your uh, birth story, your birth trauma, and made an entire organization, Jason's Journey, um, out of it. Um, you are, you know, I, I honestly believe you're kind of prophet-esque, you know, and and um, I really, I really do. I, I speak to so many people and I interview so many people and I really, I just feel like maybe, maybe that is why, you know, I don't know how, why everything had to happen, but I wanted to ask you, what keeps you going? Like, what is it, Jace? What inspires you to do the work that you do? Because it's so needed. And, and by the way, real quick, when we hear that women of color are dying more, giving birth in America, and then we hear that black women are three times more likely to die. Let's remember that it's 243% more likely to die. So even if you want, then their white counterparts giving birth in America. So even if you want to be in denial about racism, you really can't. <laughs> right. But what motivates you? Because um, the numbers in America's maternal health crisis are, are, are getting worse. They, they um, but I'm also very hopeful too. So what, what inspires you? So Jason, of course, inspires me. I've always felt like he saved my life. Um, And I wanted people, his story is, he lived. He lived and he was loved. And it shouldn't have to happen. There should not be more Jasons. And if I can make sure that there aren't any more Jasons by doing this, by sharing his story and making people aware of the things that we don't know, because there's so much that I didn't know before I got pregnant. Like I shouldn't even been able to get pregnant, right? Because I didn't know there was a maternal health crisis. And I think like our country decides what we should know, you know, like, oh, well, let's just tell them this. Let's just sugarcoat pregnancy to death. Oh my gosh. You know? Um, nobody needs to know all the things. 
like how they completely outlaw midwifery, how there aren't enough OBs in this country versus um, people having babies. Like there's just not. And let's not help them with this corrupt system that we have that was built on racism that continues continues to have disparities over and over again year in year out and not only are the numbers rising the number of pregnancies are decreasing Mm -hmm. exactly so so what does that say yeah what does that say Right. Yeah. You can't have, you know, present hospital only births as the only choice, uh, then do C-sections, which have uh, increased by 500% in America in the last generation, then don't give women paid leave. Uh, There's no childcare, throw in the pandemic. And then what? And then we're supposed to bounce back and get our bodies bounce back. (laughs) Don't forget, (laughs) lose all that weight. You have to go right back to work and be pretty. And you have to love, but it is like torture. At one point when I was writing my book, I actually asked, does America hate mothers? They but do. Now, yeah. You know, but now I think it's, they just don't value women, women's lives, women, the, the work that we do, the care work, anything that women Any- can do is not valued in America. I mean, and it's now not, more than it's, ever, I mean, it's, it's so, so clear. It's so clear. And, and it's so, so dangerous. Because, and then you think about like how they, they throw abortion out, you know, like yeah. now oh. they're going to force you to have births. Right. <laughs> but they, they don't really care about the baby. Yeah. Oh no, they because, really don't. Because, because if it was about the babies, they would get them some formula. Yes. Yes. By the way, there was no shortage of formula in the uh, Poland Ukrainian border, but there was a shortage of formula here. Because as soon as the war broke out, so many people thought about, you know, stocking them with formula. But what happened to the richest democracy in the world? Uh, Tamika, I'm so glad finally you guys, we tried to do this interview three times. We had a tornado. We had some technical difficulties, things that like never happen. You are a prophet. I just want to point out none of that was my fault. Oh, this is true. This was all my fault. It's very difficult to access this uh, this goddess, this maternal health goddess, uh, maternal health activism goddess. I I really hope, and I feel like we are going to be working together um, a lot more. I can't thank Absolutely. you enough. You you inspire me. You are so brave, and what you have done with your with your sons life and story is an inspiration honestly for for everyone and and, you know i think i was telling my husband that every time i speak with you it's so hard not to cry but today i realized it's not a bad thing it's not a sad uh, cry it's 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 a lot of things i think that only really mothers would understand right but how you've kept your son's life alive is is really beautiful so i thank you i thank Thank you you. thank you for having me we just gotta like improve like I'm, I'm, I tell people like I'm a birth work advocate. Mm-hmm. So like when I meet like doulas and midwives, I'm like, yo, I'm your hype man for real. Yes. Like I am your hype Respect. man. Respect. That is literally only the only way we're gonna get through this. Yeah. Like midwives have been doing this before. Yeah. Obstetricians were doing this, mm-hmm. and they kind of just like pushed them to the side. Yeah. And now we need them, but they can't that. do it. They can't do it by themselves, no. right? Like 
the politics literally of, have to change. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so crazy how in America they have completely removed other women from the birthing process mm -hmm. and completely isolated uh, the birthing person. I mean, I always say this, like, I, you know, I was born and raised in Bangladesh and we have a lot of problems and America, you know, helped us so much in decreasing and reducing our maternal mortality. But a woman is never isolated. A, a mother, a new young mother is never isolated the way that they do here in the States in so many ways from the hospital birth, but they have completely removed like midwives, doulas, like all these other women that are supposed to be there, right? It's not supposed to be a white no. man in a white jacket, by the way. And you're laying, and laying down on your back. And laying like, down on your back, which is only convenient for the freaking white doctor, by the way. <laughs> I just, it's just crazy. And, and and then the laws, right? You can't just give birth uh, in your home just because you want to. The no. lack of choices. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's every state has their own laws. I mean, you could get arrested. Yeah, state. you could literally Crazy. get arrested. And now and with the pandemic, as you know, I'm sure you know, and now more white women want to have uh, out of hospital births. So now there's a real shortage of midwives. So it's even more harmful for women of color who had already figured out a couple years ago that we were being killed in these hospitals. Exactly, exactly, I mean, exactly. Woo! And, and the, the thing about it is people still don't know. Like people I, still, yeah, people still have no clue. And oh, I think because gosh. I'm in these spaces and we're in these spaces all the time that yeah. we know because we always talk about it, but oh, people no. still have no idea because unless oh, you no. know somebody that has gone through it, you think you that it's don't one, know. Yeah, yeah, you don't know. I had a woman come to interview me at my house, a journalist from a respectable, bless her heart, she was young. Um, but she asked me, I mean, my book had just come out. I had written a book on this topic and she asked me, do you ever think that maybe your experience was just a one-off? I'm like, yes. And police brutality was just that one bad policeman, right? I mean, I wanted to just honestly strangle myself. You, yeah. I was I like, first of all, I know you haven't read my book before coming to the interview <laughs> or even read the jacket cover. But, I, but that's the thing, like, it's really funny. Like, and it's mostly white people because I feel like people of color can't afford or don't have the luxury of being in denial, but it's always white people who's like, do you really think so? Is it that bad? No, I love the, I love the thing is like, it's always, why does everything have to be black and white? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. I don't know. Though. I don't know if you look at the numbers, but they tell the story. They like, tell the story. They tell the story. That's another point I always say. You can't ignore the numbers. You can't ignore the numbers because for so long, um, they would say that women are just exaggerating or making it up. And now the numbers back. The numbers back what what women and people of color have been saying have been saying this whole time so thank you so much tamika excited <laughs> to have you and work with you and consider You're you welcome. a colleague thank you for your You're story thank you for having me we will be in touch soon all right final interview have a good one stay safe out you there too. all right bye you too bye.